Did you ever have a psychedelic experience? Getting carried away by music, colors, sounds, totally immersed in another world? Well, the good news is you can have that experience totally sober. How? <laughs> With fractal art. Fractal art is a form of digital art, algorithmic art, where fractal objects get calculated and represented as still images, animations or immersive video experiences. The art form developed in the mid-80s and is part of the new media art. To me it's fascinating because of the mathematical beauty that lies at the intersection of generative art and computer art. And that's why I'm excited to have fractal artist Julius Horsthaus on my show today. Julius started his career in movie making as a sound recordist, focus puller and later on in visual effects. He also supervised films such as the Academy Award winning Manchester by the Sea. In 2013, Julia started experimenting with digital art with fractal environments, blending cinematic animations with abstract artworks. His work quickly gained worldwide recognition from the Creators Project, Gizmodo, Newsweek or the Vimeo staff picks. After some high-profile projects and collaborations with musicians and other artists, he went all in and is today working as a freelance fractal artist. I talked to Julius about his inspiration and his workflow, as well as the aesthetics and technical side of his art. It's a great talk for all artists, designers and creative entrepreneurs, so please enjoy my conversation with Julius Horsthaus. Welcome to The Sweet Side. This is The Sweet Spot Podcast with Mark Zeus, investigating entrepreneurship, purpose and the creative life. Sweet people, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the fractal artist Julius Horsthaus. Julius, how are you? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you. How are you? You're in Amsterdam right now. How is it? Home base Amsterdam. Uh, yes, Amsterdam here. It's very rainy right now, uh, but it's a lovely city to live. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I've lived here my whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't really know what it's like to live other places. I've traveled a lot, seen a lot, but never really lived elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, because Amsterdam is so convenient. Everything is so close by. You can go anywhere by bike. Uh, we got a really good internet connection. We got a great airport. So it's all good here. It sounds perfect, especially as an artist. I mean, Amsterdam for artists has a huge heritage, <laughs> right? I mean, even if you're a digital artist, but I mean, all the painters and all the museums, is that something that resonates with you living there? Is that a part of why you love it? It is not really something that I think about a lot. And mm -hmm. I don't really, I don't think that I am an artist in the uh, coming from generations of, of Van Gogh's and, and, and Rembrandt's. I, I, I really don't feel like I have anything to do with what they do. I do find them inspiring sometimes. And it's great to go to the Rijksmuseum, which yeah, is, absolutely. Uh, which has these beautiful Rembrandt uh, uh, paintings. Um, but it's not really something that I think about a lot specifically, or it's just, a, I think it's more like a coincidence that I, that I was, uh, okay. that I'm in the same city as, as these uh, great museums. Okay. I want to start with your story because today you're a fractal artist, um, but I want to talk a little bit about your story because I think it's a very inspiring story. Pretty early on, you knew kind of where you wanted to go and then you shifted from the industry that you got big in to becoming a freelance artist. But 
how about we start at the beginning? I read that after high school, you started working in film. So pretty early on, you were sure that you wanted to have something to do with moving images, movie industry, and you worked as a sound recordist, focus puller, and later you worked in visual effects. Um, so what drew you into the movie business? Did you know when you were a kid, like, were you fascinated by films? Absolutely. When I was, uh, I think I was 12 years old and I've, I always, I was already um, fascinated by film before that, but at 12, um, my uh, parents were generous enough to give me a video recorder, VCR, uh, 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 video camera, sorry, for, for, uh, um, for Christmas, I think it was, or Sinterklaas, which is the Dutch version of mm -hmm. Christmas. And I have been, from that moment, I, have, I, was, I was making films. I was not filming things. I was not like, a, like doing documentaries, but I was creating uh, all sorts of little uh, sketches um, together with a friend. We were doing, we, want, we, we saw Terminator 2 and we wanted to do the same thing. So we started... Yeah. Uh, doing like stop motion things with like tin foil to do the T-1000 robot, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or we saw Back to the Future 2. So we wanted to do like a skateboard with, with like, a, like a moving, like the hoverboard. And we started figuring out like, you know, tricks, like in-camera tricks where you can do that. Um, and we did a lot of like action films and gangster kind of films and, I've, and, and, and comedy sketches uh, really from a young age, uh, we were doing that and mm -hmm. I loved it. It was just something that I knew that I would, that I wanted to do. So it was very early on. It was very um, obvious for me that I was going to do something with film. It was just, uh, uh, I, I wanted to apply for film school. So that is, that is really what I was sort of like, yeah, after, after high school, I'm going to go do film school because there was never any other thing that I was thinking about doing, but yeah, film. Yeah. Okay, that's that's amazing. And also, that's something we both have in common, because I think also awesome. from a very early stage on, I never really played with toys. I always staged them like a little tableau vivant and I showed my parents or I got a little mm. a little photo camera and I staged my toys and took like snapshots like a like a storyboard or a comic frame where little battles happened. But it was all about documenting it and sharing it with other people. So <laughs> that's funny. Oh, nice. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you've been working as a visual effects artist for the industry for quite some years, right? Um, when I was actually going to, when I, I said I wanted to go to film school, I, I tried to get in there, but for some reason, uh, I never got in. The, the oh. Amsterdam Film School is quite, it's a quite prestigious, good film school, but they only allow, I think, eight people per year for any specific Uh, thing like uh, either cinematography or directing that were the things that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. So not being able to get there, I started to, to, to just work um, uh, to learn the industry from just from the, from the practice, yeah. just by doing it. And I think this is also something that has sort of defined my uh, own journey or career a little bit where you don't, I never really went to school for any of the things that I know how to do, but I've all learned them in, in uh, uh, on the job. So yeah. really, like literally starting the first day on the on the on the film set, having absolutely no idea um, what 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 everything was. Yeah. So I I was standing, uh, you know, I was I was standing right in the middle of everybody, and I was more like of a nuisance than any kind yeah. of help. What did you do? What did you do on your first day? 
Oh, it was horrible. Um, I'm not sure. I, I was a boom operator. So they put me uh, as a boom operator in a sort of like, a, it was a Dutch, like um, a detective movie. It's a little bit like a German krimis, mm-hmm. you know, from the, from the, like the early nineties or something. Yeah. Um, and it was like two people walking up the stairs and it was a very small corridor. And then the camera was pulling back like through the corridor and uh, I had to boom operate that yeah. shot, which is an extreme, it's a big nightmare for most uh, <laughs> like boom operators that actually know what they're doing. Oh, well, yeah. And I had absolutely no idea. So I was probably knocking over lights, casting shadows on walls that were in the frame, <laughs> dipping my boom in the frame. Shoot, it was yeah. a complete nightmare. Yeah. And after this, after the first day, they actually put me behind the, behind the recording car. Yeah. So I was actually having the, being the person to check the levels and, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, press record on uh, on on each uh, uh, take, obviously. Yeah. So that I've been doing for for a while, and it, so yeah, and then focus pooling and clapper loading and uh, other ty- types of things. Mm-hmm. But I was also always working on with uh, with a friend on a three with three D Studio Max. I was doing little uh, experiments, and I think I had to also tried a little bit because maybe at one point I was making a film and the school needed to explode. That I was I was it was like terrorists that were um, <laughs> that were terrorizing our school that I was in. So we needed an explosion. So. This is the first time I tried anything with visual effects, and this was like back in the late 90s. Um, so we think we took the explosion from Independence Day. We sort of cut it out frame by frame awesome. and put it on, awesome. uh, on, the, on the school, <laughs> you know, where the White House yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 explodes, yeah. that one. So, yeah, so then at some point there was this, this opening in this job in visual effects, and I got uh, into that, and I started learning the ropes from within. Uh, yeah, and it's... So my whole journey has always been that I wanted to I wanted to uh, to always make that sort of do that creative thing, mm-hmm. and yet just at some point you you sort of you get into where you're just learning the technical side of things, um, and also seeing which was a little bit of a surprise to me that most people around me they were sort of content by doing just that, yeah. and I was like, well, obviously you're just doing this too because one day you want to make your own film, right? And they were like, no, like. You know, focus yeah. Yeah, yeah. is cool or, or just rotoscoping is cool. or um, And so I just saw that I had this drive where I was just trying to learn all these tools just because I wanted to sort of have the tools to make my own uh, weird, crazy vision. Yeah. And from the, from the high school White House Independence Day explosion, you worked your way up to become a visual effects artist, right? Yeah, from a very yeah. I mean, <laughs> that took years. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't like that was the reel that I that I submitted to the of visual effects not, yeah. house. How long did you work uh, in visual but, effects? But, well, I think the first job I took, and it wasn't really visual effects yet. It was a company doing more like logo animations and and animations. Mm-hmm. But we did also visual. We did green screen stuff, and then slowly that got in, um, absorbed into a more larger visual effects house. But that whole period has been from 2006 to through to until 2018 so that's like 12 years yeah. that I worked uh, for for VFX yeah okay amazing i'm interested there was a big leap from being a successful visual effects artist being kind of a service provider to the creative industry um, being embedded in the movie industry working in teams having like a like a whole industry surrounding yourself leaping into being a freelance artist so when did you know it's time to pursue the arts and go all in? What was that project like? How did it feel to you? When did you know you were ready to take the step? 
Yeah, that was in that that is actually when I quit my job. Uh, at the visual effects company that was 2018. But uh, the reason that I was able to do that was because indeed, and this was more back in 2013, where I started uh, noticing that fractals were an amazing way to create little abstract stories, little abstract mm-hmm. films, um, which was what eventually allowed me to to actually uh, to take that leap. Um I don't think it was like a moment where I was like suddenly realizing this, like it's something I'd always sort of seen, but I didn't know uh, how to do this. When I, when I had discovered these fractals, and I'm, I mean discovered, uh, not literally discovered, because uh, they are discovered, but not by me, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But when I saw what they were capable of, and when I could do what I'd learned from film and 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 visual effects things like compositing um, because fractals are obviously something very abstract uh, but there's like 3d worlds in a way mm-hmm. so things like lighting cinematography composition editing pacing uh, sound design all these kinds of things that we that we know from cinematography they apply to fractals so I could sort of marry those two worlds at some point um, and it, it was like a slow journey. So, but that was those five years where maybe I posted the first, um, the first video, the, f- the first little film that I'd made uh, on, on Vimeo. And there actually got some likes, actually some, some total strangers on the internet liked what I had made. Yeah. Um, and that was like a, this, this huge kind of uh, uh, a booster and uh, uh, of, of, well, you should continue with this. There's something there. And then slowly you sort of, you build your, your audience of people that appreciate the type of art you do. You get, uh, you know, um, reblogged, you get uh, featured in some article, um, you get asked for immersive content and more and more things like mm-hmm. that happened. Uh, and at some point, of course, there is this moment where you, where, where you, know well if i quit my job now i can probably uh, live from the art that i that i make and that was the that was the 2018 point okay very very cool yeah because i think a lot of people that either work in the creative field or have entrepreneurial spirit are at a similar point you know when do i go rogue when i do freelance when do i found a company or start my career as an artist so i like what you said that's the gradual process of getting more and more positive feedback and then starting to earn money with it and then at one point you yeah find the guts within you to say okay let's let's try this let's go all in so and today you work completely as a freelance fractal artist and i wonder what part of your besides the technical and animation and 3d stuff that you put into your artworks but is there something more you took away from the world of cinema and movies like set design or storytelling or the experience like what did you what did you keep what did you learn from movie making that still applies to your artworks today yeah i i i like to think that it's there like i like to think that when i create uh, a new piece that all my years in the in the movie film industry and all everything that I've learned on sets, moving lights in order to do you know make sure a shadow doesn't fall on another actor, like all those things, even though they don't directly really apply mm-hmm. to, uh, to 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 the fractals, uh, that I've sort of taken them with me and that and that that shows. Of course, I don't really know if that's true, and I don't think it's one specific thing. It's really that that sort of all round. Uh, 
thing where that that you get when you when you work behind the scenes and you see sort of like through for me film was always magic you know mm-hmm. it was like the one of the most magical things uh, uh seeing i was always impressed by 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 great films as as a kid um seeing behind the scenes like it's not magic this is like this big realization that you get it's oh it's not magic it's just tech it's technique it's all yeah. it's all done by uh, you can actually you can deconstruct the whole thing and you can sort of get there uh, and all those things yes they they it would be very surprising if they were not in my work uh, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly mm-hmm. how and 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 um I can't like get give you a like a a very specific example of that, okay. but it's it's obviously there. But it's there, and even if I if I watch, um, I will put some of your videos from your website from Vimeo and to the show notes so that can people actually watch your artworks. And I still get the feeling if I watch your videos, there's still some rhythm to it. There's still some subconscious storytelling. I feel like just from tempo, and there's still some kind of drama, even though it's it's of course abstract artworks. But I still feel like there's a rhythm to it, and there's still some kind of abstract visual storytelling going on, which I really appreciate. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I really. Uh, that's that is very conscious decision um especially i think with abstract art it is the the danger with abstract art is always that you basically the sky is the limit you can make anything mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, any kind of combination of parameters that create fractals will will yield will yield something um any color will will do something but and a lot of fractal artists uh they they do that and they might like that aesthetic where, where it's very colorful, very, very, um, very abstract in a way. And my, what I've always liked to do is to try and, and, and you have to work, you know, and if you want to be creative, you have to sort of work in constraint, right? You, you're mm-hmm. more creative actually, mm-hmm. if you have either a deadline or if you have some other kind of constraint than if you can just do anything. Um, so for me, the constraints for, especially in the beginning, because right now I'm sort of letting go a little bit more and it's more, getting more abstract, but especially my, my earlier work, I think, even though it's super abstract because it's all fractals, I really try to sort of emulate something uh, from cinema, from, from film. So mm-hmm. indeed, like uh, a lot of people who use computer generated cameras in 3D animation, you, cameras can do anything. You can just put a keyframe there and there, yeah. but I always try to sort of have my camera moves be something like you could do it on a real on a real dolly track or or crane or something like that or a steady cam yeah. um try to be uh, aware of those types of things try to uh treat the lighting like it was an actual light source try to sort of get the colors to something that is sort of like a palette that people sort of know mm-hmm. because it's already abstract so we don't have to sort of try and get that so all the other elements that you can control i try to sort of uh really get that language of cinematography and when you do that when you get that sort of you know cinema um, uh sort of the, the, the music from from cinema and you get the sort mm-hmm. of the language from mm-hmm. cinema and you get the pacing from cinema maybe something like there's like a something like a very quiet part and then suddenly there's a climax and then it goes faster like that kind of story structure or st- like three x structure or story beats or whatever you want to call it um, that sort of tricks the audience a little bit into thinking that there is a story, even though there isn't a story. And then yeah. your mind sort of goes into overdrive, trying to sort of create that story of its own, which is part of the fun of the fractal, because it's very, uh, really something that you sort of, it, it sparks um, uh, uh, your imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very well said. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into a little bit 
deeper into the fractal art world because it's said that there is a mathematical beauty of fractals and of course it lies at the intersection of generative art and digital computer art. From my point of view, math always played a big role in art ever since from the Greek classical sculptures to Da Vinci, Dali, um, Pollock, Escher and of course it applies to today's digital art as well. So I want to What's your stand on this? So where do you start artworks from a place of aesthetics and beauty or from a place of math and numbers and code? So maybe you can give a sneak peek into your creative process and how you approach a fractal artwork. For me, it really starts with the code. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe that's also true for the other masters that you, that, that you named. Um, you know, for Pollock, he would start with, with the... With the uh, Uh, with, with the technique that he uses. And then that was sort of, you know, that would sort of, you know, spark fractals yeah. by itself. Of course, there's no, there is no, um, there, it's no, it's no coincidence that, that fractals and, and things like the golden ratio, because that's mm -hmm. like a big part of it, that, that number uh, of phi uh, that, that defines something uh, that if you uh, scale it down the sort of the proportion stay the same, which is a, uh, with this, um, this very unique Uh, a relation that these two uh, uh, or that this number basically represents. And you will find that in nature everywhere. And I think that it's very, it was been very obvious to many artists that, that it's there. Um, and it can very well be that if you just start from those types of, of rules that you can get these very uh, complex looking and very harmonious looking artworks for me, because I don't, use art in that way what i what i actually use is i use a what's well, a software called mandelbulb 3d mm -hmm. where you have hundreds of formulas that are all there they're all different kinds of uh, uh, uh formulas that use the sort of the fractal kind of uh thing like using uh, complex numbers mm -hmm. uh, and that and so if you do that you get all these crazy things um, so when you get those formulas together, that's, that is for me, the basis, that's where the inspiration comes from. Like mm -hmm. the shapes that, that, that they yield, they go like, Oh, I could tell this kind of story with that. I could tell yeah. that kind of story with that. And you can tweak them from there. Okay. So it's a part yeah. exploration and then exploitation. So it's like an intuitive draft with basically the, the codes and then something, You get hooked on something and the story comes to you or you see something and then your imagination takes over and then you say, okay, I can take it from here. Yes. Yes. That's, that is, that is a very, very exactly how it is. That's, that's very cool. And also what I found, what is very interesting compared to other art forms that are maybe less digital or just a different discipline that you are very open about your work and your process. I think from the outside, it comes from part of the maybe coding culture and also software driven culture where you help each other out, you share pieces mm. of code, even you have amazing tutorials that go really into depth on your website. And what I, of course, wondered, is there something that you usually don't share? Is there a part of the inspiration or a system of reference that you use that you didn't so far or can't share with a technical tutorial? Oh, There is definitely a lot that I can't share of uh, a technical tutorial just because, um, well, so yeah, I mean, I, I have a couple of, 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 of tutorials on my website, but I think I made maybe once, like maybe one every two years or mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. And it takes me only a couple of, 
you know, it takes me maybe two, two hours or something to create nice. such a tutorial. So I really don't spend that much time creating tutorials. And I'm also not coming from this sort of open source uh, code world. So I know that exists and I know there's a whole uh, thing and that's, that's, that's really great, but I'm, I'm really not a person. I'm not on constantly on uh, talking to people on, on, on discord or something like mm-hmm. that where I'm, uh, I'm always sharing everything. No, my, my workflow is actually really quite private and that's not because I, I want it to be that way. It's just because that's how I am as a person. Uh, I don't constantly feel that I have to be, um, sharing <laughs> but i yeah but i do not absolutely i've never had anything that i didn't want that i didn't want to share there's no there's no i never felt that there is like a you know like a trade secret or something okay. or like an idea that if somebody stole that that they would be able to uh um make what i do or something that they're that they would run with my idea mm-hmm. i don't think that is something that i uh, have to be afraid of or should be afraid of um, I do think that it's that it's great to to, uh, to if other people are inspired that yeah. I would give them the tools to pursue the same thing. At the same moment, I also know that my entire background in in the film and really understanding uh, you know what what film is and what what uh, animation is and these types of things are probably. Uh, as important or even more important than the technical knowledge of the software yeah. is. So um, that is just not something that you that you learn in a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of tutorials. But there's another reason why I don't share my entire workflow mm-hmm. um, in a tutorial, and that is because it's hard to actually um, to actually make that happen because I don't work on one speci- on one computer. It's not just on this machine. I have other machines here that um, do network rendering. Mm-hmm. I might jump from one computer on another. Uh, I might also wait for, you know, uh, two weeks, uh, something's rendering or even something rendered yeah. and I haven't really thought about it. And then two weeks later, I'm sort of taking it up again. So that would just be very hard thing to actually just to start, sure. re- yeah. you know, sharing and recording. Uh, I think that is really the reason that, that I don't do that a lot. Still, I appreciate it because I know very few painters, for example, that share techniques or something so i still think it's very cool to see that a different form of art like digital art has a very different approach to sharing parts of the process it is also it is also there is it is also kind of private in a way Mm -hmm. and it does like when you're working by yourself you don't feel like anyone is watching you you work in a different way because you you you're you're not you're not performing and if you know that people are watching uh, you might be, you, there's a different part of your brain thinking about that part. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not just me working. It's also yeah. other people seeing this. And I might not even be aware of some, you know, things that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm like talking in myself or something when yeah, I'm yeah, actually yeah. working. And that's just something that you're not, you know, then suddenly you're, you're, uh, so there is part of it is, is, is also just that it is a, it is a private mm-hmm. thing, even though there's nothing, there's no, there's no secrets or anything Absolutely. like that. I think that, uh, th- I think that might also go for, for. Yeah. I think that applies to nearly any kind of creative work. You have to go into flow moment where you're not too self-conscious about the whole process and yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But some people can do that on, so some people, some artists, they do work on, for instance, on festivals, I've seen painters That's right. uh, and they just make a, you know, so they are f- apparently probably fine with, with, uh, That's with, right. uh, 
onlookers. Yeah. Send them out. All right. I also wondered, we talked a lot about technology now and home being filled with the servers and, and software, but looking at your art and also what you said about the feeling, making it feel like a cinematography and there are real textures and camera movement that feel like I could actually film this in, in the real world. So I also wonder, is there Do you draw inspiration from nature or architecture? I mean, how do you how do you walk through the world? Is there something that always strikes you as interesting or inspiring for your art? Really, inspiration for my art comes so very often. I think in in music, mm -hmm. um, music is very inspiring. Um, also, other films, which is usually which if if I was a filmmaker, that would be. A, That would probably make me a bad filmmaker. You know, if a filmmaker <laughs> should not draw from other films. But I think as a fractal artist, it's okay to actually mm -hmm. be inspired by a film. I was watching Blade Runner and I wanted to do something like this sort of, you know, foggy, neon lit, uh, yeah. cyberpunky town. And I did, I did a whole sort of, I did a piece with that. And that sort of created this whole new sort of look that I was able to do with fractals with. Um, and or I uh, was watching Prometheus and with this mm -hmm, sort of the, mm -hmm. the, the whole thick atmosphere and then these these this sort of like weird kind of um, half nature half natural half like man-made constructed type of of geometry interesting things with that so I do get a lot of, of of my inspiration from from film there's a lot from music and yes there is also indeed from uh, I love walking through any type of city. Um, And uh, uh, watching architecture, watching yeah. uh, places. I, I like the whole 3D-ness of a city, if that makes any sense. Just <laughs> the fact that you can walk through and that there's like other things behind things. And there's like that, like that sort of stuff really inspires me. And, uh, um, and it probably inspires me to, to make fractals. Yeah. I want to circle back to the technology because we now talked about your tech setup to create the art but also i'm interested in the staging of your artworks because i saw one of your projects online it was for the art tech house in new york the your exhibition your piece was called geometric properties and it feels to me like it was the perfect exhibition space with projections on the wall and on the floor amazing sound um how, can you tell us more about that project how did it came to be yes uh art tech house is a um a Digital art gallery or art space. Um, I'm not sure exactly which which term they use uh, in uh, in America. They had they the first time I they they called me when they were they only had a place in Washington D.C., uh, which is a little bit. Well, it's not. I don't think it's smaller than, but it's definitely um, a little bit simpler as in it doesn't also have the floor. So it's mm -hmm. basically like a large room where three walls are, are, are covered in, in with, with projection. And they showed this to me and they said, well, what, how would, what, would, what do you think fractals would look on a place like this? And I said, well, I've never tried. I don't know. So um, they said, well, you want to try? And I was like, yeah, for awesome. sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we did a little test where I used, where we put just some existing material on it. And I, I, I know that when you'd have it on a large screen, um, uh, so I'd done some, some domes before it is, it is very, it works very well. Fractals have inherently this, this, this super detailed structure. It's, it's like, it's full of detail. You know, even if you zoom into the detail, there's more detail and more detail and more detail. Um, and this, when this detail surrounds you, it, it can sort of feel all very all 
well, let's say awesome, but mm-hmm. not awesome in the in the colloquial term, but like literally awe-inspiring. Maybe it's better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I created something uh, that was back in 2018 uh, with them, um, and I think it ran there, ran in Washington D.C. for three months, um, and it was it was nice. It was great. And then they opened this really nice location. Uh, I think it was 2019 at the Chelsea Market in Manhattan, um, which was a really a prime location as well. And they had this boiler room that they completely stripped, and they had this and this crazy amount of of, of pixels what they have. I think they used like 18 projectors, and altogether wow. it is like 95 million pixels, yes. uh, completely surrounding you. It is it, it is quite insane. Uh, so I was like, well, can I do that one as well? And I was like, they were, yeah, that's, that's sure. So when you make something for a place like that, you have to take, and this is also something that you know, you learned the first time in, in Washington, D.C. And then, of course, you see it and it was like, okay, well, there's so much more that I need to understand about because it's a different type of, of experiencing. Everything is much, if it's larger, you have to do much slower things. Uh, so I made this like long half hour a very high resolution thing that sort of fits exactly in that space um, called geometric properties. And it was, yeah, it was, I think people loved it. It was a, it was a big success as in, in terms of how many people have, have actually uh, gone out of their way and uh, uh, actually just watched fractals for an hour, be immersed in, in fractals for an hour. And you, you also, also there, you sort of, you also together with the with the musicians, you create a story, you create a, a sense of 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 that the, that there is something that evolves to a climax, and that there is this sort of theme through it that you are actually getting a glimpse of something that is out there in a mathematical world where you sort of have this pinnacle moment where where you're sort of realizing that you can do that with with colors, you can do it with audio. Um, and people really felt that, and that was it, it was it was a great experience. It was so I was so grateful that I was yeah. allowed to 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 to, uh, to show my art in that space. And uh, yeah, definitely immersive venues are are the very best for this. Yeah, it's such an amazing look. I'll put a link to the documentation video photos of that uh, into the show notes. People, you gotta watch this. It looks so great, especially if the if things move from the wall down over the floor towards you and stuff like that, it's really like you're in a, I don't know, you're in a roller coaster ride, a movie theater, something in between. It's totally immersive. I really enjoyed watching that one. Yeah. It's a slow roller coaster then. Yeah. It's not a, yeah, it's not a, and it's, I think that's also something, it's just very, it's not a, it's something that feels very serene or, or meditative almost in a way. Because mm-hmm. at this point, a lot of people are always like, they compare this whole experience and the look and the, the look and feel of fractal artworks to psychedelics because mm-hmm. it has this yeah immersive, colorful, pulsating. It's always or oftentimes connected to music. I know you're totally off drugs, but what role does it play to have like psychedelic experiences? Either beforehand or going into that is that something that you that you fiddled with like the whole 70s psychedelic aesthetics or or druggy experiences or is that something that's just connected to it because it's also kind of a colorful immersive experience yeah i don't think i've ever had anything specific with the psychedelic 
community or or um, with the with the with the with the looks of the of the seventies or eighties mm-hmm. and and these things. I don't think they've ever really spoken to me. But what has spoken to me is this, is the music from, let's say, the psychedelic community. So there was like I've already as a like I had one friend, like all, all my friends were listening to different music, but one friend, he was listening to sort of like Psytrance and maybe sort of like also slower psychedelic dub or, 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 or these types of genres of music. And they always spoke to me a lot um, because there was just something, it, 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 it seems more uh, uh, layered. There's like more texture to it. It's very, it's very intricate and, I don't know. Maybe this is just how my brain works. That that I sort of like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. Like most people tell me that they only like that music when they're on psychedelics, yeah. and so maybe whatever the experience is for most people when they're on psychedelics is for me the sort of is the normal experience. That is that is possible. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you know, you never know what other people's experiences. And if if I if I if I am on psychedelics, it's it's maybe too much, or it's like getting yeah. the overdrive, you know, in the wrong direction. Whereas for other people, maybe it gets it in the right um, direction. So this is maybe well, but I guess one of those untestable theories. Um, but yeah, so it, I don't think the looks specifically are something that I that I um, that I, that I enjoy, but it definitely the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess. Yeah, that's probably not a coincidence that that that, that type of uh, uh, stuff appeals to me. Then, yeah, yeah, totally. How do you pick music for your projects? Is it a collaboration? Do you have certain musicians you work with, or you find music, or is it written specifically for certain projects? Yeah, all of the above. Um, <laughs> okay. I've I've done yeah I've done I've done all of those things. So I so I tend to spend a lot of time and and love getting the right music for for my work. Um, Without the music, it's it's nothing. I, I I like I said, I get inspired by the music. So uh, I did a piece that maybe was inspired by James Cameron's Avatar, and I actually put the the music from Avatar, the the, the James Horner mm-hmm. soundtrack, uh, under it. This was years ago, and I and and that for me that immediately sort of creates it. You know, gives this this level. This is of course when I was just starting out, and I I was just. Um, uh, well, basically, just taking music from 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 Spotify and, and SoundCloud and whatever. Um, as the years went by, I was able to actually work with some artists that I really um, that I really also admired. And uh, so now I'm also in a position where I can ask a composer to actually compose the music for the fractal. Um, so I've worked both ways. You start with the music, you put the fractal to the music, and you start with the fractal. And you put the music to the fractal. Yeah. Um, for instance, for the uh, for the like one composer that I was really a fan of uh, was is called Michael Stearns, and he did the soundtrack for the films Baraka and Samsara. And uh, if if you're not familiar with those, those are some like full length, beautifully filmed on IMAX format uh, uh, awesome. films that re- doesn't really have a story, but it shows cultures from all over the world and it connects them with time-lapse photography of clouds and cities. Um, and he, he made this beautiful soundtrack of that. And, uh, and, and now I'm actually working with him and I was working with him for the, for the geometric properties uh, uh, exhibit. So that's the, the type of, 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 of where you're suddenly working with, um, with a composer that you're really that you really sort of feel that connection with. Mm-hmm. And those types of, of music are made for visuals. So you have music like dance music, which is often, it's not 
it doesn't even if I can love like this dance track or this or this or it doesn't it's not made for for a mm-hmm. visual mm-hmm. thing. So try as you might, it never really sort of works. But if you have visual music that is sort of like you know has a story, has an arc, it can be classical music, it can be electronic music, it can be any genre. But I sort of classify it in a visual music. You can do so many uh, cool things with it. That sounds like an awesome collaboration. So yeah, and now we have to circle back to the New York exhibition because my understanding is that tech plays a huge role in presenting your art. I mean, compared to paintings or sculptures that you could just put into a room, maybe take care of some lighting, but then you can present the artwork. And um, if you want to show fractal arts and create an immersive experience, there goes a lot of knowledge and technology into the presentation. So my understanding is that you don't do tech yourself, meaning whenever you display your artworks, the room has to match your standards for sound and projection. And I feel like after your New York exhibition had the perfect setup, is it now harder than it was before? How do you look for venues or how do you find some? This is where what I mean by when I say I don't uh, look for locations. It's it's like cause, because that New York thing looked great. And I have a lot of people that have like asked me for, hey, like I have to get this. I've got this cool warehouse. What could you do here? But that would mean that I would have to make sure that, you know, the projectors are there and there's a whole system. Mm-hmm. And some artists work like that. They're like, I would say maybe installation art, installation arts. Uh, uh, they know exactly how to set up a, a space like that. I don't feel like I do that. Like I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, like a, um, a, a director doesn't, doesn't pick the cinema. It's just like, you know, cinemas, they know to do all the, all the, all the stuff. So I really just create the content. And of course I work with the space that we're doing, that I'm doing it for, but I, I'm not scouting out places. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, uh, I try to tend to look for places that already have the, yeah. the, the whole thing there, or uh, which actually happens more often. They, they call me, they've seen uh, my work and they go like, well, what would it like? Um, what would the fractals look like in here? And this could be an immersive space like that. It could be a uh, a dome, mm-hmm. uh, like a planetarium dome mm-hmm. uh, or anything. Uh, and there's like lots of things now with LED walls and there's the craziest ways to do immersive art. Yeah. And I would like to point that out because to me, that's an important lesson here for all creatives or artists or even entrepreneurs, because you know what you want to do. You want to focus on creating the artwork And, you know, you're not want to get involved with too much of the technology. You could as well also try and set up rooms and everything. But I think at one point you just made the decision, what can I do best and what do I want to put my time in? So you want to create the artworks, the whole experience, and then you just go out and find a room or have someone contact you or whatever. So is that something, a realization that you've been working towards or was that very clear from the beginning? I'm going to focus on the art and I'm going to let the tech and the rooms be the tech and the rooms and it's going to come to me. Mm. Yeah, no, that is something that I, that I have been slowly discovering. Mm-hmm. And this is also because first it was never an issue. Like no one was, uh, was asking me, Hey, you know, what could you do with, 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 with this space? So first you really just focus on the content anyway. Um, and people will just, when they ask you to create something, it will be something for the flats, a format that I've been working on before. Yeah. And now 
now they see something immersive and then they call you for, hey, could you do the immersive? So it's only now that I have to start thinking about, well, actually, no, I, that's not something that I, you know, I'm, I can only do this part of that. Yep. Um, and this is something that you sort of you start learning as you go how to communicate these types of things. First, I think I was also for, for quite a long time, I was just uh, saying yes to everything. Like mm -hmm. If anybody was like any kind of thing, hey, could you do fractals for this event? Could you do fractals uh, for this music video? Could you do fractals for you? Like, yep, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's, let's, let's try it. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. to see every type of thing because you want to you understand what are the limitations of fractals? What should you not do? What should you do? Again, this is not something that's conscious, but this was just something I was excited about. Mm -hmm. That's why mm -hmm. I said yes. Now I'm at a place where I can't, I can't say yes to everything because it would be too much. Um, but also, then you start, you have to start thinking. Well, what kind of projects do do I want to pursue? Uh, um, and and those are things that you that, that I think any you know, uh, uh, artist beginning or, or even, uh, uh, professional or advanced have to, at some point think about, um, to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's, it's very much, a, uh, and I make mistakes still a lot. Like I think, oh, I should not have said yes to that, or, or I should have said yes to this or, yeah. uh, that like, like those types of things. Fail again and have the learning curve up there. Definitely. So you talked about a lot of creative artworks you did for music for installation for the flat screens you also mm. did some nfts so what role do nft artworks play for you well i i i hope not that uh not much for okay. for me nfts were uh something that of that everybody started to be really excited about i think i learned of them about maybe this was in 2019 like early mm. 2019 is the first time that There's another sort of artist who, I think he calls himself maybe a psychedelic artist, but he's definitely also doing some fractals. And he told me about this whole crypto art um, uh, world. And for me, that sounded like something very niche. And it's, I didn't really want to, um, uh, it, it sounded very much like a community thing. And again, yeah. like for me, that doesn't just not, that's not the way I'm wired. And I just work quite solitary. Um, and these people are sort of, we're always trying to, sort of help each other out and doing many things. Um, and that's just, I don't, that, that just, that didn't feel like me. And then of course there was this like huge uh, moment where Beeple, the uh, digital artist um, suddenly sold his NFT for $69 million dollars uh, at, mm. at Christie's and everybody suddenly started talking about NFT. So, and so a lot of people called me up and like, Hey, well, you're a digital artist. You should be, you're going to be a millionaire by next month. Uh, <laughs> like that was literally the way people yeah. sort of, yeah. you know, try to get you on that band bandwagon. And um, well, maybe if I had done it very early on, they wouldn't even be wrong, but uh, I waited for quite a, quite a while, especially because, It doesn't like if everybody starts doing it, it's sort of, I have this automatic thing. Well, I should probably not do that because if I, lots of other people are doing it, I'd rather do something different. Mm -hmm. um, and also because the mode, just, just, just pure getting rich as a, as a motivation doesn't sound uh, 
right. It doesn't feel completely right. But I, indeed, I have so uh, the 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 exhibition uh, uh, in New York, the Geometric Properties one that you mentioned. Uh, they had a uh, collaboration with Nifty Gateway, and they wanted to uh, sell some parts of the artwork as an NFT. So I had one drop at at Nifty Gateway, um, and that is really actually for my for my own art as far as, far as NFTs. Uh, um, as far as the interest really goes. Where do you see your art evolving? Not for the whole industry, not for the art market, a digital art market in general, but your journey. What do you think is the next stop going to be? Because it doesn't sound like you're going to go down the road of NFT all in. It's more like, I wonder where's the new frontier. Do you fiddle about the artworks for the metaverse or go into more virtual reality mm. if everyone gets their gets their glasses for home? Or what's the what's what influences and what technologies are interesting to you for your own future? Yeah, so I was a little torn between I think I've gone back and forth. So the first time I did something immersive was uh, for, for VR. There was this, this musician and he had this, the first one of the first VR goggles, there was the Oculus DK2. Mm -hmm. I, not many people had one yet and it was hard to get, I think. And he flew from Sweden, he flew to Amsterdam and he said, well, here you have mine, please make some fractals for it. He was like, a, he, wow. he loved fractals. He, he could like, he, he watches fractals all day long, I think. Um, and um so I so I, I started rendering just a very simple test, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. 360 degree video of a fractal fly through, and then I put on the the, the headset. I was like, oh my god, this is! Mm -hmm. And I was worried. Was, I was still working for the company, and it told my colleagues, and my colleagues they were all like, these fractals are weird, man. Like they didn't really uh, feel it, or they were like kind of mm -hmm. like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool, but you know, can it do? Uh, you know, can you do uh, EXR exports? It's like, nope. They're like, oh, okay, well, then we're not interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they didn't really, weren't very, um, they, they weren't very uh, uh, um, amazed by the fractals. But when they, when, they, when, they saw the, when they saw the VR fractals, they were like, oh my God. And everybody was constantly tripping with these VR headsets. So it started with that VR thing. And then I suddenly learned full dome because whatever you render for VR, you could also show in this, dome thing and these were at at at, at festivals now the first one i did was in montreal was the sat dome and i suddenly started liking that because of the because of the fact that there's like a lot of people together mm -hmm. and vr mm -hmm. is this solitary thing right and then with dome it's like the whole like the whole room was sort of going through that flying roller coaster spaceship thing together and um and that was just something i was like yeah i think i like these more there's these physical spaces of immersive art more um but now i'm doing a vr piece again so okay. i might be going back on on the on the on the vr and the and the and the yes so i think these like this is something that you just i like i don't know where that is going to go like is it going to land somewhere is it going to land with pure the vr in the metaverse um although i wouldn't really call it the metaverse because it's not a it's not an online experience mm -hmm. it's not a mm -hmm. Uh, social experience either it's just it's just you know sitting there um enjoying these 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 yeah. otherworldly places yeah yeah so where we'll end i don't know okay. yeah it's interesting and it's it's i think always an inspiration to see or to hear how an artist like yourself 
explores new things and where you okay i'm gonna go down this road i'm gonna explore this and yeah and i also appreciate what you said about the shared experiences because especially with digital art i think having the possibility to share it with other people like you said in a dome is something really special and i think something that's gonna i don't know maybe divide the whole media and art landscape a little bit going into vr and personal very private metaverse experiences and then also the value of shared experiences you know mm -hmm. so i think that's that's interesting yeah, yeah. i have uh, my last two questions for you already which i'm asking every one of my guests so um one of which we already touched a little bit so i'm very interested in what's next from julius what can we look forward to is there something coming up some exhibition new artworks videos what can you look forward to yes absolutely i mean this is something this is a year that hopefully we'll see definitely some some new things coming out uh the couple of things uh, i'm not can't talk about it yet okay uh but what i can talk about is the vr experience that i've been working on for about i think about eight months now mm -hmm. Um, that should come out this year, but it will probably be towards the end of the year. Um, this is probably my longest and more, most involved uh, thing yet, uh, even also for for just uh, flat films that I've made. But mm -hmm. this uh, this is like a three three dimensional VR. So it's like stereoscopic. So mm -hmm. it's like this. Your the the, the the experience is really like if you put the VR headset on there, you are absolutely in these in these places. Um, the technical side is something that we're still sort of trying to figure out, but because they're very high resolution mm -hmm. uh, of files, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a kind of a thing how to, how to get that sort of high res files because streaming won't work. It'll, mm -hmm. it'll look too blocky and too okay. grainy and too. So it needs to be really like, you know, like a premium experience, maybe with binaural audio, um, that, type of thing so this is something that i'm that, that uh, i'm actually quite far with the project already i've got um like for all the fractals fractal films i'm still looking for the music but uh but but uh, but, but the actual fractals are are let's say uh, 70 there and i'm i've showed it to some people and they were really really amazed so that is something that i'm really sort of working on this year as well uh and hopefully that's going to be uh that's that's going to be great and then other projects for the future definitely mostly going to be immersive experiments uh, experiences pardon and um and full dome types of things yeah. yes all right cool and we can all check your website and i guess that we're going to learn when what is happening yes at some point i will have some yes the announcements announcements there i i'm not the best at keeping my website up to date okay. so Uh, yeah, so the, uh, the the socials is probably okay. uh, a little bit of a better way to to sort of learn uh, when something would launch like okay. that. Yes. And I'm also going to put up some links to your Instagram and YouTube and people will follow and learn about it. So, yeah, my last question is I tend to enjoy it if people, my guests, can recommend something that inspires them at the moment. Sometimes I get movies, theater plays, books walks through certain kind of architecture might be something from you or even music so is there something that inspires you this day this weeks that you want to share with us yeah um the, there is lots of things like i said that 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 inspires me something that i've been, that's just very recent on my on that that i was really impressed by uh, and maybe people that know my work are sort of surprised that I would be interested in, in, in that because it's quite different from what I do. But I think there's also 
a connection there a lot is the uh this, this new the new steven spielberg uh remake of the west side story yeah. uh which is something i just saw last week in the cinema um and of course the i know the music from bernstein from as a kid i think maybe i heard uh, my parents were like maybe playing the record or something and i think that movie was extremely well made it, it was beautiful and uh i love the set design mm -hmm. and also the way it's edited and i love when music and visuals come together and i think in a musical even though usually the music i listen to is never songs it's it never contains mm -hmm. um people singing uh and it's much more electronic and instrumental uh even though that there is a very there is a very layered and complex thing going on between between music and um and cinematography and set design um which i really which i really loved and yeah this nice. is some this is really something that i uh, that i was very inspired by perfect sweet people i put this in the show notes you can check it out julius thank you so much for your time it was very interesting to dive into the fractal art world so thanks for sharing absolutely it was my pleasure <laughs> take care thank you That was my conversation with Julius Horsthaus. I hope you enjoyed our talk about the inspiration of nature and architecture for his digital artworks and also his storytelling approach for abstract art. I believe there is a lot to learn about finding your entrepreneurial and artistic path and at the same time finding creative ways to work with technology. Next week, I'll be talking to Finnegan Shepard. He is a writer with a background in philosophy and also an entrepreneur. After his own transition, he founded both and a fashion brand that specializes in clothes for trans masculine, non-binary and AFAB people. That's it for today. Take care and I'll hear you next Wednesday on The Sweet Side. This podcast is produced by Sweet Spot Studio. New episodes each week, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating and subscribe to never miss an episode. Find out more at sweetspot-studio.com.